0: This is Women Speak Cyber, the podcast with the diversity of ideas critical to solving the complex challenges of securing businesses and people today. We believe all voices need to be heard. Whether you're an aspiring speaker, leader or wanting to advocate for others, join Louisa P and Louisa V and their special guests who will share tools, tips and inspirational stories that will help you to speak cybersecurity with confidence and impact. LP podcast
1: number two. I know. Exciting. I have to say, I was really unaware of how nervous I was the first time we did this, but it was actually so much fun. And I think the feedback that we have got over the last couple of weeks has made me even more excited to do this next one.
0: Yeah. It's always nice when people take the time to put comments and give feedback. And yeah, we do really appreciate that. We are joined for this episode by public speaking coach, Emily Edgeley. Welcome, Emily. Hello, ladies. Emily, public speaking wasn't your first career. Definitely not. Would you mind starting by telling us yeah, <laughs> a little bit about your journey to becoming a public speaking coach and how that all came about? Sure. If
2: I didn't suck at public speaking, <laughs> I would <laughs> never have become a public speaking coach, which probably sounds a bit weird, but... I have always been one of those painfully shy kids, and I also loved numbers. So you could imagine that it was no surprise that when I got into the workforce, I not only found presenting to be difficult, but I was just no good at it. And I don't like not being good at things. So I did what a lot of people do is I tried to get better and I did a heap of different things across maybe about three years. So things like doing Toastmasters, I got a coach, I tried to present as much as I could. And as I started to build my confidence, one of the things I learned was that Actually, a heap of the people that I admire that are amazing at public speaking have learned this as a skill because they would say to me, Oh, I was never this good at the start. I was, you know, I used to be terrible. And so for me, that was this massive confidence boost that, okay, if I am or I think I am terrible, there's hope for me yet. And as I started to learn what I felt like were these secrets that I'd never heard about before, things like storytelling or, you know, using the power of pause, I then wanted to share what I'd learned. And it just started like that, as a very sort of innocent, wanting to help people, volunteering my time. And as I started to do that, people started to then seek me out. And one of the things that I realized was, I have this extremely amazing career, which was in cybersecurity, and I get paid a really good salary. But I'm finding that I'm getting so much more of a rewarding feeling from helping people with public speaking. And so I had to make a really big decision a couple of years ago. Would I stay in the security industry, or would I follow a passion that burned really deep inside of me? And it was one of those decisions that I really wasn't ready for. But because of a few different factors, I had to make it at a point of time. And I decided to take that leap of faith. And my God, I'm so glad that I did. Mm. And then I met you two wonderful ladies a couple of months into my own business and we started Project Friedman and that was an absolute career highlight, being able to give back to not only the industry that I came from but also to help women to find their voice. And I couldn't be happier to be here and the fact that we have a podcast or that you have a podcast and that I'm able to help you spread the messages that you're spreading. So thanks for having me as well.
0: Thanks, Emily. It was so amazing to have you as the coach for that first round of Project Freedmen because the impact you had Mm. on those women, getting them ready for their first talk, um, was it's it was phenomenal and it continues to be when you Mm. see them continue to present and um use their voices ongoing, which is which is amazing. Thank you. It was a group effort though, right? It
2: (laughs) honestly like one of the things we all learnt was that it that the power of all of us collectively, behind these women, including each of them, was something that I don't think we even fathomed the success that it's had. so it's it's been amazing to be part of it. I think you were the perfect
1: coach for them as well because you understood exactly where they were and what yeah. they were struggling with. And I just I just think you were the perfect fit. And, and you've come from the cyber industry. So mm-hmm. not only did you understand their issues when it came to confidence with public speaking, but you understood mm-hmm. that the industry that they're working in yeah. and some of the other issues that, that can arise for women in this industry. Yeah. So yeah, I, I know when we were letting our participants for this year know, a few of them said to me, oh, I've heard that one of the coaches is Emily. Oh. Do you think I'm going to get her? So, uh, yeah, so the, the word had spread from our previous participants uh, to this year's oh, participants. So lovely. But, we're, we, you know, we're really lucky to have Catherine coming on board too. I don't think we could have thrown 20 at you. That would have been slightly ambitious. No. And, you know, we're stoked that we've been able to grow the program to 20 women this year, and we're so excited to see what you and Catherine do together.
2: So... I can't wait. I was so happy when I met Catherine and I realized how aligned we were, but also how we have quite different experiences and backgrounds. So in combination, we're just going to make it even more exciting than it was two years ago, which I can't even imagine. But yeah, we are, I'm sure.
0: Well, Emily, we, as you can imagine, we have so many questions and things to discuss with you today, since this podcast is all about kind of sharing tips and stories that might help women working in cybersecurity, thinking about public speaking or, or wanting to kind of strengthen their skills in that space. So... Uh, We might end up having to put this into a two-part podcast because there's (laughs) going to be so much gold from this conversation. But I think the first thing I wanted to kind of chat to you or we wanted to chat to you about was sort of what are the things that people should avoid when it comes mm. to public speaking? Because I think sometimes, you know, we kind of focus so much on on getting it right. Mm. And, you know, I need to do this, this, and this, and this. And these are things I need to focus on. But what should we not be doing? Yeah. In your experience?
2: Sure. And I mean, <laughs> when I say this, I'm sure you're all, you're, you two ladies, as well as everyone else will be thinking about this as well, is honestly death by PowerPoint. Yeah. And I know that in the corporate world, Sometimes we have to use PowerPoint or we have to have particular slides in a particular format and what have you. But in reality, what I have experienced firsthand as an audience member and now what I've also experienced as a coach coaching my clients, it would have to be the number one thing that actually breaks the way that someone would normally talk. Mm. And I have a lot of people that will will say to me, when I present to one-on-one, I'm fine. But if I present to a group of people, it's just so awkward and I feel so nervous. And to be honest, part of that actually comes from the fact that when you do present to a group and you're using PowerPoint, it's a one-way download and you're having to look back at something to make sure that you're saying the right thing to people. And it is awkward and it is unnatural and you would never do that in a one-on-one situation. So part of what I try and teach my clients about is, Try and have a conversation in a similar way as you can as when you were having it in a one-on-one capacity. Obviously, there has to be differences, but using going to PowerPoint so quickly or whatever slide technology that you use hmm. so quickly before you figured out what it is you're going to say is very unnatural. And it's going to make you do things that seem wooden and strange and you're going to try and remember your notes and what have you. So I think if I was going to sum up one massive tip for people, it would be try and think about what you're going to say and the importance of the message and the simplicity of the narrative or the key takeaway and focus on that and how you're going to connect with the person or the people in the room or virtually if that's the way that it's going to play out more so than what's on your slides. If I had, I don't this sort of takes me back to the Einstein quote, if I had 10 hours to prepare for a presentation, I would spend nine on what I'm going to say and perhaps one on my visual aids.
0: Mm,
2: Wow. Rather than what I feel like people send is nine hours on their visual aids and one hour on what they're going to say. Mm,
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: I mean, I do have to say, as someone who has sat through a lot of event presentations It does frustrate me when someone just reads completely off the slides. And I know I've had to throw together content really quickly. And I've probably haven't had 10 hours. I might've had an hour. yeah. And I tend to just grab slides that I know I've already got. So I have been guilty of it as well. Yes, But going through this process and seeing what a great presentation looks like has definitely made me rethink the slide use. Yeah. It's, it's hard though. Corporates, a lot of corporates have some messages that they want to get across, right? And they've got to put it up on a slide.
2: Yeah. I know for a lot of people, they might be presenting to Committees or they might be presenting to boards and they require slides in advance. And so you've already done the slides and then you have to think of what you're going to say and that the slides have to be read as a standalone artifact by email beforehand. So I get there are sometimes limitations. So working around that is one thing, but then if you do have control over what it is that you're going to be putting up on the presenter pack, then I would say that's the best place to start is to think about what you want to say first.
1: I remember when I was working for a very large corporate and we had the keynote at the largest event that this very large corporate did. Mm -hmm. And we sent some slides that were just images. Like I think it was six slides with images. And you can imagine legal, Mm -hmm. PR, comms, marketing, everyone came back with like a million questions. Ah. Yeah. So we had to provide literally the whole presentation in the speaker's notes mm. so that they could approve it. Yeah. Because they couldn't approve it based on our images in the slides. So I
2: know. I know and it's I think there's also a role that conferences and event organizers play in this perpetuation of us needing to put everything on to PowerPoint slides because I've heard a lot of cases of speakers having to submit slides a month, maybe longer out. Mm. And how on earth do you know what you're going to say? And they've required that they put information into their slide pack so that people know and can govern what's being covered. But that just goes against the grain of being able to use stories and what have you. Mm.
0: Yeah. And in an industry like this, that's kind of fairly fast moving and, you know, you're probably going to want to where you can discuss recent events, it seems, you know, crazy that you would be able to finalize a presentation a month in advance and not want to update it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I think back to some of the most impactful presentations I've seen, and they have always been the ones that have next to no words on the slides. It's Mm. all about what the presenter says. So everything you were just saying there, Emily, is is exactly what kind of then translates into an impactful presentation presentation and we've all sat through those lengthy powerpoints we've also given them I have to admit
2: I have I have too (laughs) whenever I run my workshops I always show people the slide packs I used when I used to present back to RMIT and they're shocking (laughs) they're literally a verbal run-through of exactly what I was going to say and it's distracting for an audience member, completely yep. distracting. You can't, it's like trying to listen to a podcast, sorry, not a podcast, an audio book and read the book at exactly the same time. It's completely redundant. Yeah. Yep. Either do one or the other.
0: That's such a good analogy. And I guess then sort of linked to that as well, the kind of, you know, the PowerPoint essays, mm. I, I think it's tr- fair to say that some people do that through nerves as well. Like Correct. it's a comfort blanket. Tell us your thoughts about that.
2: Yeah. So what I always say to my clients is if you're struggling to remember your talk, then imagine your poor audience. Like legitimately, if you're so close to your material, you've rehearsed your talk prior and you still can't remember it without a lot of information on your slides, your audience is going to have an even harder job at remembering that. Now um, you might think that's fine. It doesn't really matter. Well, if your audience can't remember what you've said after you've presented to them, it's actually of no value Mm. because if they can't then go and use that information when they need to make a decision, or if they can't relay that information to anybody else, it is pretty much pointless. So, People being able to retain information is really, really important. And what helps with things like that is thinking about your overall message ahead of time and focusing on one thing. And what also helps is things like chunking information. Chunking information is how we remember our credit cards and our mobile phone numbers. We don't remember big strings of information. So chunking is another way. Another fantastic way of remembering information which works not only to help the presenter, but it also then obviously helps the audience, is to tell stories. So if you have a story, you could talk for five minutes and you're still telling the one story, but in your mind, it's essentially one thing as opposed to you might have told 10 points in that five minutes otherwise. And that's harder to remember. So there's so many techniques that you can use in terms of remembering things and getting rid of or feeling comfortable that you're not gonna forget something rather than having to use your slides as that crutch. I mean you can always I always tell my clients as well, if you want to have a piece of paper with some notes on it. Mm. Yeah, I, I always do. I very rarely will go to it, but if I have specific things I wanna remember. I just make sure I have them. The audience does not need that. I have it. And then they have something really visual that helps them remember.
0: So, Emily, one thing I wanted to ask is because we were talking about this on the first podcast and LP had this situation where she needed to do a radio interview and she literally had moments to prepare and she's kind of sat outside on our laptop in the bright sunshine, she couldn't see the screen and she was just trying to, you know, get some thoughts together for this radio interview. Sure. What happens when we don't have a lot of time to prepare those kind of on the fly requests? Is there a, is there a technique we can use to just be ready to talk anytime and get our points across? Is there anything <laughs> you recommend?
2: Um, yeah. Sure. There'd be a couple of two different things that I would say. Part of it would be I would take a little bit of time to prep any content that you're wanting to bring to mind. So whether it's a podcast interview or whether you're going in and you're going to be perhaps grilled on the status of a current project or what have you. So I would almost split half of the time and if you can, even if it is one minute, and prepare – some of the answers to the questions or what are the key things you're wanting to get out of it. So that would be point number one. But the most important bit is more likely going to be your mindset. So generally what unravels people in those situations is they're having these thoughts of, oh, my goodness, I only have five minutes to prepare and I'm going on to this podcast or this radio interview or what have you and I don't know what I'm talking about. I haven't had time to prepare. And you can imagine if there's all these negative thoughts swirling in someone's mind, you're almost going to make what you don't want happen because you also, it's whatever you focus on, you feel. So if you're feeling and focusing on I'm not prepared, then you're going to come across and feel not prepared. So what I would say to people is it's really important to use positive language and to focus on what you do want. So do you want to come across as articulate or do you want to come across as you are confident? So whatever words you you want, whatever essentially you want to happen, try and focus on that and think about how knowledgeable you are, etc. rather than thinking about what you don't want to happen and how anxious you are about it. It sounds really simple and it sounds like it's, it, couldn't potentially work, but science has proven that it will drastically show change how you show up and it has a big impact on how people will perceive you when you're in that situation. And one other handy tip on how to do that, which I came across and I found this quite interesting, is to talk to yourself in the third person. So a lot of us will generally talk to ourselves in the first person, so say something like, oh, I'm not prepared, I'm going to completely bomb this thing. Whereas if you can talk to yourself in the third person, I don't know if you've ever tried this, but I have actually tried it, it really does work. If you can say something like, you're going to be right, or you've got this, you know your stuff. Science has proven that you're a little bit away from yourself, so you're kinder. I don't know. Have you ever
1: used that tip? I mean, look, I was slightly panicked because it was so hot and I was sitting on a main street, as Louisa said. But I did say, oh, look, I can only do what I can do. And I had done a really quick five-minute practice with someone. But, yeah, I was just like, look, it's me. (laughs) It has to be me. But I did. we talked about this on the first podcast that it's something that you need to practice regularly. If you... Do remind yourself of your talking points. I, I know the questions I'm going to get asked in my current role. So okay. if I can make sure that on a regular basis I go through my mind what are those talking points and what what are what, what are those points that I want to nail, then it will make it a lot easier when I do get those kind of last minute impromptu requests, because I will have the confidence to know that I'm going to be able to answer them well, because I've thought about it. Yes, absolutely. And so I think what I would do is spend my last few minutes just quickly, because I they always ask about you know, in this industry, you know, what's the latest cyber attack or something like that. So I would just go through what's been hot on the news recently just to remind myself so that when they ask for something topical or they ask a question about something that's happened recently, I'm not gonna be like, uh, I don't know.
0: Um <laughs> let me Google <laughs> that. So yeah. That's a really good point, Emily. I don't know if you found this or or your clients have found this, but I do think it is good to practice, Absolutely. to keep practicing. And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, kind of doing a whole talk yeah. every month. It's that sort of you know, if we're focusing more on those kind of incidental needs to, to make comment on things and want to make sure you sound intelligent and you know your stuff, it's kind of practicing those nuggets of information. And I remember uh, someone I used to work with said, you know, just have these like blocks, of knowledge Mm. that, you know, when you need to string it together and make it sound succinct, you can, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be the same each way. Yeah. And I think I remember you've talked about that when you did some coaching for me, Mm -hmm. you said your, your talk doesn't matter if it sounds slightly different each time, Mm. you know, focus on the content, as in it's the story and the way you tell the story will differ each time, but that's okay Yes, because it will sound more natural.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, what I remember saying to you was it's the points that you want to be clear on and how you get them across can be completely different depending on the context or the day even. So, yeah, you may use an analogy one time or you may use a statistic another time or you may share an anecdote another time. Or you may somehow ask someone questions about it to uncover their own thinking about it. As long as you know where you're wanting to go, yeah, it really doesn't matter how you get there. But I think if you can practice it somehow, and like you say, it really doesn't matter. I know for me, I struggled even putting my hand up to ask a question, even when I was an audience member in a conference So I just tried little things and over time I just incrementally built up. So any practice, whether it's putting your hand up and asking a question, if you push yourself outside of your comfort zone and do things that you find a little bit awkward or a little bit stressful, you build up that resilience that, oh, it's actually not that bad. And every time it gets a little bit easier. Mm. So yeah, I would say that very good advice.
0: Yeah. I can attest to it getting easier. I was like you, Emily, I just, the idea of asking a question (laughs) at a conference, Mm. I had so many questions. Like I'm a really curious person. I was a curious child. And I'm like, I just want to (laughs) know. But over time it actually got I remember it got worse and worse and worse before it got better but it just the thought of asking a question at a conference my entire body would go into adrenaline overload <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just seems you know I guess that kind of leads me to the question and just before I finish that it does get easier you're right and yeah. now I can ask a question so I just wanted to give people the assurance it can get better yeah <laughs> I was the audience
1: plant that had to ask the question in case nobody else asked
0: the question. So I I always
1: had something prepared just in case, because I never wanted my presenter to be standing on stage without any questions. No questions. Yes. <laughs> I never had a fear because I was the, the plant. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. And I guess you just then over and over again, you were asking those questions. Everyone's kind of looking at you and you just get used to it. But. Emily, what what do we do with those physical symptoms? You know, many people experience those kind of that overload of adrenaline, the heartbeat faster, the fight or flight kind of comes in. Mm. And, and for some people, that means they cannot speak. Yeah. They cannot get their words out they, you know, they have physical, we were talking in our first podcast to Melissa about the fact that she goes quite red and, mm. you know, what, what she does is just wear a high neck top and eliminate the issue that way. <laughs> but are there some things we can do to get past those physical symptoms? Definitely. There are. It's not something that
2: when it's happening, if this is the first time that you're trying to make some changes, you can't, fix it completely in one go, but you definitely can get to a place where that doesn't happen anymore. So one really interesting thing that I found out about, about the way that the mind works is, and I don't know if you ladies know this, but if you focus on something and you're sort of visualizing this happening. So let's just say you went red when you presented one time, then the next time when you're going to present, you're worried about going red. And then you go red and then, you know, the next time you're worried, et cetera. Now, every time you're thinking about that in the lead up to the event, thinking I don't want to go red, even though you're thinking you don't want to go red, as an example, the only visual that your mind is getting, you know, it can't create an opposite for you without you telling it. So all it's thinking about is going red and it's creating a visual of you going red Now, every time that this happens, it creates a new neural pathway in your brain. And I like to think of this as a canal. And every time you think of it, you're worrying about it, this canal gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then what happens when you're actually in the event is your brain goes, ah, uh, we've been here before. (laughs) I know exactly what to do. I will just go on autopilot. And it essentially gives you what you've been worrying about because it thinks like, yes, I know exactly we need to go red now. So that's why it happens. But the good news is because our brain works in this way, whatever you focus on, you're essentially going to get in a way. You simply need to focus on what it is you do want. So let's just say in the lead up to the event you want to be, you don't want to be red. You need to think about what is it that I actually do want. I want to be perfectly clear. I want, you know, I want to be pale even, whatever it is that you want. You need to create a visual. And if you can keep visualizing that in the lead up to the event, that will literally get you to what you want, whether it's I want to be calm, whether it's I want to be cold, whether it's I want to have a slow heart rate, it sounds too good to be true, but mm. it literally isn't. And I have been able to use these techniques as well as my clients to actually change the physical reactions that you get in your bodies. And if you read, you know, some of the amazing stories that are out there on the Internet about things like people can even do this when they can't have a general anesthetic so they can think these thoughts and actually not feel pain and some of the amazing powers of the mind. Wow. So it, it is a bit of a tricky technique to, to master, but it is entirely possible to calm your nerves through the power of the mind. Hmm. Interesting. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, we did the kickoff, as you guys know,
1: uh, we did the kickoff for round two of Project Friedman. Yes. And I could actually hear the fear in some of the ladies' voices. So I'm actually really excited to see that progress because we've seen them all on that first very simple introduction sort of phase. It'll be so interesting to see – if we can start to see those changes just from their voices, the confidence in their voice, yeah, and to see whether or not, you know, you're going to be able to work with them mm. to get them over those kind of ingrained reactions.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing that some of the ladies, well, at least some of the ones that I was sitting here with, were experiencing in that call was that they're not alone. Mm. And I think that's one of the biggest things to realize when you're going through your public speaking journey is it's so normal to feel a fear. Mm. In fact, so many people who you think don't feel afraid at all do. And I've had so many executives speak to me about the fact that they either hate public speaking or they find it really nerve wracking and there's no visible signs of that whatsoever from us as the audience. Mm. And so I think it, it is It's not something that uh, even accomplished people don't have any fear. So I think that's one thing to understand is it is completely natural. It's because we as humans like to feel like we've got that social fabric and we're accepted. And I think as long as you can understand that it is fairly normal, you're not alone. It's nothing to be ashamed about. If you can somewhat normalize it in your own mind and accept it, That's actually one of the major steps to overcoming that fear and, and reducing it to a manageable size.
0: Emily, I'm curious to find out from you because I know that you work with men and women in your mm. in your coaching work that you do. Have you observed any significant differences between genders in terms of how they feel about public speaking, how they approach it? Yes. I know it's, you know, it's hard to generalize, but I'm just curious as to whether you do see those differences.
2: Yes. So it's interesting whenever I say to people, the majority of my private clients are males. So that's generally a lot of interest to people because they think, you know, not many men have problems with public speaking. They definitely do. I would say though, it's a different request when they come to me. So generally females come to me and the predominant thing that they want help with is the confidence and the fear. Generally, when the men come to me, it's more a case of, I want to be, more engaging, or more articulate. So there's definitely a difference. Mm. There are nuances throughout. So I absolutely have female clients who are not afraid at all and they just want to become better. And I have the male clients who are also completely afraid and it's stopping their career and it's debilitating for them. Mm. So there is definitely a mix, but predominantly the, the, the biggest difference is most men are thinking she'll be right. Mm. I'm As soon as I get up there, I'm fine. Mm. Whereas most women are thinking these the thoughts that, you know, the imposter syndrome, all the things that women are generally more aware of than the, uh, I find males, things like do I really have something that people want to hear or mm. am I worthy of getting up there and speaking. Absolutely, I have. Male clients do think those things, but it's a lot louder for females. That's what I have observed.
0: Yeah, that's really fascinating. And I mean, certainly one of the reasons why LP and I, you know, started this whole thing in the first place, what, you know, part of the reason was we felt that women need to see what they could be and yes. to see women up there on stage and start to normalize that. I think that's one of the things we really hope to achieve through mm. through this and over time is, and I know, again, we speak a lot about our personal experiences mm. on here, but I know that being a woman and talking about cybersecurity felt less normal yes. as you know being up there because most of the speakers I'd ever really seen in my career were men so exactly. immediately I felt awkward i guess being being a woman up there and, and talking about the subject and and that imposter syndrome mm. but yeah i i think it is heartening when you feel like you're not alone and you just mentioned that with the kickoff call with the ladies you're in the room with yeah and certainly when i've heard men talk about the challenges they have with public speaking. That's really helped me. Yes. And to your point, you know, quite accomplished speakers, entertaining speakers that admit that they find it incredibly scary, Yeah, you know, and I would encourage anybody to share if they feel comfortable, those stories, you know, if they are male or female, because it does really help people, I think.
2: I completely agree. And it was a conversation with a couple of male executives that early on in my public speaking journey made me realise that, in fact, for a lot of people this has been a big struggle and it's been a massive work in progress for them that other people haven't noticed or perhaps even just haven't asked. Uh And so I too think that there is a real requirement for especially men to talk about the fact that they either have found it hard or that they do find it hard because there's this misconception that people are the only ones that have their worries or that other people yeah find it easy so I do agree with you and I think it's about being open and having that transparent conversation about the reality of the situation
1: yeah I think LV and I did a NIDA course, which we talked about on our last podcast. But Mm. I think what surprised me the most was, you know, we had some fairly senior males from the organization there who presented on a regular basis And they absolutely were terrified. You would never know by watching them present, but they hated it. Mm. They knew they had to do it as part of their jobs, uh, but they were terrified. And so it was actually eye-opening to see them admit, if we hadn't gone and done that, of course, I would never have known. And here I am like constantly, one of them, I was constantly... not forcing, but push, putting him out there to present and little did I know that he actually hated it and was had a physical reaction when he presented. So, yeah.
2: yeah, you just never know. The other thing, no, I agree, and I think the other thing to note is that just because someone is confident doesn't actually mean that they're a great speaker. Mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing is to bust that misconception because I have seen a lot of amazing speakers, well, I thought that they were amazing. But then on reflection, I thought, did I learn anything new? Mm. No, absolutely not. Did they share an interesting perspective? Did they tell any stories? No. They got up there and they delivered what they wanted to deliver and they were very convincing. Mm. But they didn't take me on a journey. They didn't influence me to any outcome and they didn't tell stories. So I think there is a lot more to just being confident. A lot more, sorry, to being a good speaker than being confident. Oh, yeah, it's a craft.
1: Presenting well is an absolute craft. It is. It's not – like I would say I'm a confident person, but I, I wouldn't say I'm always a great presenter mm. because it's it does – you've got to take the time to sit down and map out your story and get it right. So, yeah, uh, you, you bang on there. I would 100% agree with that. Yeah,
2: yeah I always use the analogy uh, just to add in of if – A lot of people will say I freak out when I speak to large groups and they think that that's strange, but I always say to them, you probably cook one-on-one or for yourself or for your partner or your family and you find that fine and they say yes. And then I say, so if I got you to cook for 100 or 500 people and you didn't have the right tools and you didn't have a commercial kitchen and you'd never practiced cooking for that many people before, would you be yeah. afraid? And they were like, yes. Oh, good analogy. <laughs> and that's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. Yeah. But but if I, if I worked with you and I gave you the right tools and you had an amazing kitchen and we picked a seasonal menu and then we practiced it before the night, would you feel much more comfortable? Mm. Yes. Okay,
0: there you go. Such a good way to think of it. I love that. (laughs) I love that. So, Emily, how, how do we make sure that we're authentic when we're presenting? Because mm. I'm sure you get asked this a lot. And whether that is, you know, I'm a humorous person, so I want to bring a bit of humor into my presentation or mm. I like to think I'm a little bit quirky, so I want to deliver some of that. How, how do we bring that to what we present and we're, we're authentic when we're on stage?
2: Yeah. It's actually not something I get asked a lot It's more the engaging part, but I think it is really important for people to bring their authentic selves when they do present, because one, if they don't, that's when they're going to feel unnatural. And two, the audience is definitely going to resonate and relate with people that are more authentic. So I would say, The first part would be don't script it (laughs) Mm. because if you're going to script what you're saying, you're going to be focusing on trying to remember what you're saying. And also Mm. the spoken word is actually really different from the written word. It's something I've only realized recently when I've been doing a copywriting course, but you will find you would never speak the way that you would write and vice versa. Mm. So that's one thing to avoid. The second thing I would say would be, We tell stories in our normal day-to-day lives. About 65% of the time, we're telling stories. So if you think you're not a natural storyteller, that's you're incorrect. (laughs) So given that that's the way that we prefer to communicate and we prefer to hear information, then you need to use stories as much as you can in your presentations. That will also help you to bring across your natural style. And then I think it's about... Allowing yourself to get across your ideas in a way that you normally would, which again, PowerPoint's gonna stop you from being authentic because you're gonna be writing down bullet points on what you think people want to hear or perhaps taking a slide you've used before and adding that in or what have you. Mm. So if you can just think about, I need to make this point, how would I get this point across in the best way? I mean, I use analogies a lot Mm. and so other people might be the same in their normal life. So if you can think about, I would normally use an analogy or I would normally share a joke to lighten the mood or I, I use, I know clients use, gifs and means a lot, right? They might use it a lot in their like messenger or what have you. So then if you're going to use it in a presentation, that's your personality coming out. Mm. Or perhaps you might have a little anecdote about if you're doing an MC for an event or you're introducing an event, maybe you have a little anecdote about how you got involved in the event or something like that. So I think it's about taking a step back and you're not always going to be able to present to people like you would to a friend, but you do somewhat need to think about if I was presenting this to a colleague, how would I try and get my points across and try and get some of that into your presentation? Mm. It won't always be applicable, but I think it's about thinking about is my true personality coming out here? Does this feel good to me? If it feels awkward and it feels wooden and you're feeling awkward, that's probably a really good sign that you're veering really far from what you from your authentic self.
0: Uh, that's awesome guidance, Emily, as always. <laughs> <laughs> that's really got me thinking. Uh, good. And, and what about agendas at the start of a talk?
2: Oh, agendas. <laughs> yeah, not not a fan of agendas. I would say the reason why I'm not a fan, let me just say, is people don't care what it is you're going to tell them. They actually care what they're going to get out of it. And that's not telling them every part of what you're going to cover. It's telling them, yeah, what's in it for you? What, what are you going to get out of this? What's the value? It's like when Amy Cuddy says, if you do what I'm telling you just for uh, two minutes, it could significantly change the outcome of your life. And, of course, that gets you hooked in to want to listen to the whole talk. Mm. So if you can try and add the value in at the start, that's really what people care about. Then if you really want to put an agenda... I think it's okay, but I wouldn't put it up front. I would have the value first. And then you can say, I want to cover these things, but be careful. If your agenda covers eight things, people won't be able to remember it. So remember that chunking rule. We can't really remember more than three things in this day and age. So your agenda shouldn't cover more than three
0: chunks of information. Interesting. Super helpful tips. I feel like I'm learning
1: <laughs> and I'm not even doing project treatment, but I'm learning.
0: <laughs> I always learn something each time I speak to Emily. It's so awesome. No, I, I love that. Don't you
2: reckon you're, you're more curious about what the value is mm. that you're going to get from something rather than every single bit? I mean, I'm a very structured person, so I like sometimes to know like, okay, what are we stepping through? But really at the core of everyone is like, what am I going to get out of this? Yeah. People are always going to do that translation themselves. And if that's hard or confusing, then they won't be buying into it. Whereas it's like, don't make them do the translation, just translate it for them and give them what they're really wanting to know.
1: I kind of like a surprise. I
0: don't always want to know what's coming. So
2: (laughs) yeah. Okay. (laughs) I love it.
0: Yeah. I like the idea of getting people hooked in at the start mm. and cause th- we're competing for people's attention even if we're doing a talk right absolutely these days quite often it is virtual but it could be in person if you're if you're in a really fortunate position at this mm. point in, in where the world's at but even then you know people are looking at their phones they're wondering when the coffee break's gonna be like you, you're competing oh. for their attention anyway we have
2: Around 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. So, if you think people are not getting distracted by their own thoughts, then you need to think again. So, yes, absolutely. We need to work hard and even harder when it's online to capture people's attention. And it's also about clarity. In the tech and the IS world, it's so complicated, right? Everything's so, so complicated. Even within the industry, you don't know everything in the industry. So if the job as a presenter really is to provide clarity, and that's what you need to do at the start, as well as giving the value is make it really clear what you're talking about, but make it interesting. Mm. Yeah. And that is isn't art, but it is, it's probably one of the easiest things to nail is how to do a good opening and a good closing.
0: So, Emily, I'm so sad our time has come to an end already. I reckon we might need to get you back to do uh, <laughs> some more love of to. your amazing, amazing tips, but maybe we'll just leave with this. I'd love to hear from you kind of what what do you think, you know, when somebody unlocks the power of this public speaking platform, yeah. what can that do for them? Mm. It's such a good question, and if you think about
2: how often in life are we speaking, it's every, every day, day, all day, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so, if if you can become more confident in yourself, if you can become more confident that you have something to share, if you can become more confident about the way you're speaking to people the clarity with which you're getting messages across, it it literally is life-changing. And Mm. we saw that with Project Friedman. It translates to the relationship you have with yourself. It translates Mm. to the relationship you have with co-workers, with colleagues, with your family. It can cause you to get better clarity on where you want to go with your job, get promotions. Mm. It can cause you to stand up for yourself I mean, there there literally is no barrier and no boundary for it. And I know I as well have found that my public speaking skills recently helped me with writing an article, which I used to hate. So it can translate to the written world as well. Mm. So it also, someone else was telling me it helped them to change the way that they approach and think about things. So Hmm. Being able to have a way of chunking information or providing clarity of ideas really can help in just so many different ways. So I think that is essentially the power of working on public speaking is you think it's for the stage, but it really is so much broader than that.
1: Yeah, I think you've nailed it.
2: I think (laughs) we said it on our last podcast, but
1: some of the benefits that we saw the women walk away with were just so much more than just that ability to stand up on a stage and present. Yeah. And I remember a couple of them were approached after their sessions by people Asking more questions and and saying positive things, and they were just like blown away.
2: Yes, and and wanting to contribute to the cause. Yeah, it was yeah. amazing.
1: It was absolutely amazing to yeah. see how how that touched them and how that gave them even more confidence. I think just to, that mm. people came up and asked asked more questions and asked advice. So,
2: yeah, I think if you can do something that can make someone more content with the industry that they're in and also happier as a person. Mm. That's everything. And I think that's why all three of us and anyone else involved in Project Friedman is just so delighted with where this has taken the women Mm. and the fact that we're getting to do it again because we know it's actually a whole lot more than public speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Emily thank you so much for your time oh thank you for having me it's so good to chat how can people follow you uh, if they want to reach out to get some coaching how yeah. can they find you so I'm quite
2: active on LinkedIn Twitter and Instagram and it's Emily underscore Edgely on link on oh, sorry on Instagram and Twitter but it's Emily hyphen Edgley on LinkedIn but if you type in Emily Edgely in Google there isn't really anyone else with that name so you should get to find me <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome thank you so much thank you ladies thank you bye. bye this podcast has been made possible thanks to sponsorship from the australian signals directorate for updates on women speak cyber and our initiatives to help elevate grow and retain women speakers in cybersecurity, follow us on twitter at women speak cyber or find us on linkedin